Uh, what do we expect of our leaders? What makes a good leader? Uh, a few weeks ago, New South Wales voters picked a new Premier, Chris Minns. Uh, we decided that we'd had enough of Dominic Perrottet and the Liberal Party. Now, very soon, the Liberal Party will be choosing a replacement for him as leader. Now, those decisions, I guess, are based on what people think makes a good leader. But what about Christian leadership? What makes a good church leader? And in particular, in the use of authority. What place is there uh, for a Christian leader to use authority? Now, I think there are two dangers to fall into in the church. On one side is the danger of the overuse of authority, abuse of power. Leaders who manipulate and bully, who see any questions or suggestions as personal attacks, who won't admit mistakes or share power. Leaders like that might even be well-meaning. They genuinely think they're doing God's work. But God won't build his church like that. They end up tearing down the church rather than building it up. Now that's one extreme, but the opposite extreme is also dangerous and a danger that maybe 21st century Australian Christians are in. And that's thinking there is no place for authority in the Christian church. I think it suits our Australian culture. We're all equal and we disrespect authority. We cut down tall poppies. We see this, I think, in members of churches who are quite happy to listen to general instruction for everyone but who, very, who feel very uncomfortable when it's suggested that they personally need to change their behaviour. Church leaders, though, can be just as bad, I think. It's rare for churches to discipline members these days. In fact, most churches don't emphasise church membership at all. They don't encourage it. One of the things membership involves is a commitment to submit to the authority of the leaders of the church, the elders in our case, to accept their correction. Now, I'll admit, as a leader of this church, it's hard to tell people that they're doing the wrong thing. It's awkward. It strains the relationship. At times, I feel like a hypocrite because I'm sinful too. And so the temptation for leaders is just to ignore sin, pretend the problems aren't there, and not use the authority we have to rebuke and correct and just hope the problem will go away by itself. That's what we'd like to do. But is that biblical leadership? Two mistakes, authoritarian on the one hand or hands-off and leaderless on the other. So what's the truth? Well, one of the places we can find some answers is in these final verses of 2 Corinthians as we look at Paul's leadership. Paul shows his authority. He's talking tough. But it's not like the sort of abuse of authority that we might see in some churches. You see, God is not against Christian leaders showing authority. Sheep need to be shepherded. People need to be led. 
which includes rebuke and correction. That is God's design, God's plan. It's just that the goal of the authority has to be right. God only gives leaders permission to build, authority to build up. He's issued a building permit, not a demolition order. Right at the end of Paul's letter, chapter 13, verse 10, uh, the Corinthians think that Paul is weak, that he shows no leadership, no authority, but he says he has authority from God himself. And what makes his authority different is its purpose, its goal. Have a look at chapter 13, verse 10. This is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not tearing you down. There it is. That's the purpose of his tough letters. The aim of a leader's authority. It's not to build up the leader, to build up his fame or his wealth or his power. It's not to force people to submit to the leader. A leader is to build people up, to grow them to maturity. It's the same for any Christian leader. If you use authority for anything other than to grow God's people, you're misusing it. And God's church is harmed. But the flip side of that, that authority builds up, is that it can help a leader or a group of elders, like us, to make a difficult, unpopular decision. Because the decision will be the right thing to do, even if people don't like it, because in the end it will mature the church. Authority is used to build up. That's Paul. To encourage rather than tear down. So let's see how he puts that principle into practice. So firstly, he shows leadership that builds up. Uh, It's like a parent with a child. So we're back at chapter 12, verse 14, up near the top of the passage. Paul says, Now I'm ready to visit you the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. That's the picture. Parents and children. Parents may have more power. They have authority over their children. But all of that is for the benefit of their children, isn't it? So that the children will grow up safe and healthy and educated and well-adjusted. Parents say no. Parents make tough decisions. Parents give up everything. And very rarely is there a benefit for the parent. It's all for the children. Uh, I did a little research. The uh, Choosy, something called the Choosy Cost of Kids Report 2023, calculated that the average cost, uh, the annual average cost to raise a child in Australia is (laughs) $12,823. I don't know how many new parents actually make those calculations before they choose to have kids or not. But almost all of us who are parents spend that money willingly because that's what parents do. They give so that the kids receive. 
And of course, they give far more than just money. Now, Paul says, that's a church leader. He says, verse 14, when I visit, I won't be a burden to you because parents give, they don't take. Verse 15, I'll gladly spend everything I have for you. I'll expend myself. Even though the Corinthians are criticising him for that. Do you remember? They, they call him amateur because he won't take payment. But he's going to keep doing it. He will keep serving them and not be a burden because that's the parent's job. Now, what a great model to copy. Those of us who are leaders need to be spending ourselves for the building up of the flock. Is that what you see your leaders doing? If you're a leader, is that what you are doing? Are you setting an example in giving? Giving for the children that you are raising here in this church? Giving money? Giving time? Giving emotional energy? I was listening to a podcast this week about how many hours a week pastors should work. It's a bit of a question around at the moment. And the short answer was, just putting a whole podcast down into a couple of sentences, was that pastors should be setting an example for how we expect members to use their time. If we expect, if I expect you to come to church and to a midweek Bible study group and to be in some form of ministry on top of working a full-time job, then at the very least pastors should be doing that and more, I think. So I thought that's a, that's a great answer. Being a leader costs. If you're a leader and it's not costing you, then maybe you're not leading as you should. Well, look at the next characteristic of Paul's leadership. Uh, he's more interested in strengthening them than defending himself. Uh, verse 12, uh, sorry, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 16 to 18. Uh, Paul, there are more complaints about Paul, and Paul says, have I tricked you? No. Did I exploit you? No. Have any of the people like Titus who I sent exploited you? No. Verse 19, do you think I'm defending myself now so that I will feel better? No, again. Now that's what we want to do, isn't it? Uh, if we are unfairly criticised. We want to defend ourselves, defend our honour. We want to come up with excuses. We want to set the record straight so that we will look good before people. But not Paul. Paul can genuinely say that's not his motive at all. He doesn't care if he is bruised, if he is looked down on. The only thing he wants for the Corinthians is that they are not led astray from Christ. Look at verse 19. He says, We've been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. There it is. What a great life motto for a pastor. Everything we do is for your strengthening. It's not for my honour, not so I will look better, but so that you will be built up. There it is again. Paul's authority is not to tear them down. He's got a building permit, not a demolition order. As we move into chapter 13, he begins to show that authority. 
a practical example, uh, as parents sometimes have to. Chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says, I'm coming to Corinth again. This is my third visit. And he'll warn them again. This is their last warning. Verse 2, I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. Now I repeat it while I'm absent. That's two strikes. When I come back, I won't spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. When I come for the third time, he says, you'll see that I mean business. You don't think Christ is speaking through me as an apostle? Well, you'll find out what Christ thinks of you when I come. Verse 4, he says, The risen Christ was crucified in weakness, but now lives by God's power. Paul says that's the power that we're going to use as we live with him. It sounds like when Paul comes, he's going to crack some heads together. I'm not sure what he's got in mind when he visits But the fact is Paul has the authority to speak in the name of the risen Jesus, the judge of all creation. He is Jesus' representative. But even then, as he tells how much authority he has, here's the stunning thing. Even though he comes as a fully authorised deputy of the risen Jesus, look at how he finishes verse 4. Likewise, he says, verse 4, we are weak in him. Yet by God's power we will live with him, not to crush you, but to serve you. We have the power of Jesus to serve you. And even though, even as he's rebuking them and correcting them, it's not to bully them, it's not to show them that he is important and that they're not, it's all to serve them. Even as he corrects them, on issues like their quarrelling, their their arguments, their factions, their immorality, their sexual impurity. It's not for his good, it's for their good. And look at how he does it, how he uses his authority. very next sentence, verse 5, he says, Examine yourselves. Look in the mirror. See whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Take a good look, he says. The trouble with the Corinthians is they've been so busy criticising Paul looking at him through the magnifying glass, they haven't looked in the mirror. There's a history of bowel cancer in my family, which means I've got to get regular checks. Not pleasant, as many of you know, but it's the way for me to keep healthy. I've got to examine. I've got to have an examination. And Paul is saying the same thing about the Christian life. Examine yourself. Look at your lifestyle, your choices, your behaviour, your passions. Ask yourself if you are still trusting Jesus. Ask yourself if you're still being motivated by his spirit. Have you lost your way? Are you heading for another goal instead? Now, as a leader of this church, that's my responsibility to ask you that question as well. Examine yourself. Are you truly in the faith? Or are you just hanging around with people who trust Jesus? Are you good at fooling people? Are you good at talking the talk? 
Because unfortunately, in most churches, there will be people who are good at fooling others, maybe even fooling themselves. All churches have people who look like Christians, who talk like Christians and even walk like Christians, but they're not. Examine yourself. But not just leaders. We have a responsibility to do it for one another, to encourage one another. The New Testament is full of commands for how one Christian is to relate to another. Here are a few. Be devoted to one another, Romans 12.10. Build up one another, Romans 14.19. Admonish one another, Romans 15.14. Carry one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. Speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. Care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12.25 Look to the interests of one another. Philippians 2.4 Teach one another. Colossians 3.16 Comfort one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 Encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Stir up one another to love and good works. Hebrews 10.24 Now, there's a lot more commands about what you're to do to one another than there is for what I'm to tell you to do. That's speaking to one another. Now, it will take courage to do that, won't it? To speak to one another like that. To ask hard questions. How is your spiritual life going? How is your prayer life going? What are you struggling with? What can I pray for? Now, it'll actually take courage also to answer those questions, truthfully, won't it? But let's be good at receiving questions like that when someone asks us. To answer thoughtfully and openly and humbly. Knowing that the question comes in the spirit of humility and building you up, not condemning you and comparing Now notice Paul's motivation. Look down to verse 9 of chapter 13, his goal for his children. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. Our prayer is for your perfection. He says it again in verse 11, aim for perfection. He doesn't mind if he loses, as long as his children in the church of Corinth win. His goal for them is strength, perfection or maturity, even if he is seen as weak and a failure. That's what godly leadership does. Leadership that abuses power tears down, godly leadership builds up. Godly leadership is not interested in defending personal honour or rights. Godly leadership is like a parent or a coach who does everything for the strengthening of others. Now there's a model here for Christian leaders, isn't there? Maybe that's not a model that you've experienced and it's a model that Christian leaders like me will fail at. But learn the characteristics well and keep us accountable. 
When selfish or human-centred reactions and behaviour starts creeping into our leaders, tell us, call us to account, rebuke us, correct us. That's the way you can serve us. Call us to examine ourselves. Growing us to strength and maturity. I think home groups are a great place. Our midweek groups are a great place for that. Um, All of our elders are in a midweek home group. Now that's as much for the elders' support as it is for yours. And let me put the leaders on notice. And I include myself at the top of the list. Can I say clearly our intention is to serve you. The only authority we have, the only authority we will use is to build you up and not tear you down. That is the goal. Now Paul finishes his letter on a positive note and we should as well as we finish this series on 2 Corinthians. Let me read his final words from verse 11. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. (laughs) All the saints send their greetings. And finally, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we finish this letter of Paul, we have learned so much about his character, but more importantly, about the character of the Lord Jesus, who Paul imitates. We pray that all of us might grow more like the Lord Jesus, whether we are in leadership, whether we are a regular member of church, and even if we are not yet a Christian, We pray that we would all grow to become more like Jesus. Amen.